Welcome back to the Talking Footy podcast. Each Wednesday across the footy season, we're going to be talking to the biggest names in the game. I'm Mark Soderstrom, and this week we're chatting with Geelong great Gary Buddha Hocking. We discuss what is still called the greatest grand final of all time, the 1989 decider against Hawthorne. I think it was a knee from Dermy with a skirmish in the pocket in the first quarter. Dipper had punctured lungs. It was quite epic. It was like going down everywhere and if there was a drawer, mm. we're not sure if too many would turn up the following week. The infamous incident between Dermot Brereton and Mark Yates. We had plan B, you know, Yates was going to come off the side of the square, we spoke about it. Um, he was going to, it's payback, but it was also protection for, for Couch and the boys in the middle. Playing with Gary Ablett Senior. He didn't know too many of the teammates. Mm. Did, what, even the names, or didn't know them didn't well. Didn't know everybody. He only <laughs> knew a few, a handful. And why he legally changed his name to Whiskers. On that Monday, go and change your name. So drive to Melbourne. Act, change it legitimately by deed. Go and go and change your name at the, the register and birth yep. registers. Go and change your name to Whiskers for the full week. All that in this week's episode and plenty more. So let's go to Gary. We're talking footy. Well, Buddha, this is uh, season number eight here in Adelaide. Uh, welcome along to the podcast. Uh, how are you travelling? Going well, Mark. Thanks very much for having me. Excellent. All right, let's go right back to the start. Let's go back to the days in Cobram. Yeah. Buddha, where did the name come from and how did it stick? Uh, from Dad. Mm-hmm. So a chubby little sort of fella, um, a, uh, the youngest in the family. So there's four, four kids, two older brothers and an older sister. So I sort of was more the... the chubby sort of larrikin being the youngest yep you know pretty much allowed to get away with uh, everything um, always tried to get the scraps off the floor that's all I could eat <laughs> had to be the sort of the fourth one in so is that where the tenacity came from in the foot? possibly a little bit maybe yeah. the competitiveness a little yep. bit but um, my mum also collected the the China Chinese porcelain dolls the Buddhas <laughs> yeah. that are out there you rub the belly and that sort of thing and yeah. uh, we had them all around the lounge room so I used to sit on the lounge room floor, um, yep. watching TV and doing stuff um, with my arms and legs folded. So my dad came home from work one day <laughs> and said, have a look at the Buddha sitting on the floor and it's just stuck really? you know, from then. Yeah, I reckon I was about two or three, something that age. I can't quite remember the actual age, yep. but I can remember uncles, aunties, people around the place, Cobram, people you know now in Geelong, uh, yep. yourself, yeah. people in footy, um, it's all Buddha. You know, people say... Hey Gary, sometimes I sort of question whether they're they're talking to me. I'm, I might be a little bit, you know, yeah. um, rude at times because I've always heard Buddha. You know, it's always been Buddha this, Buddha that sort of thing. Um, and all through school, all the boys at school, everything like pretty that. Pretty much Buddha, Buddha. The teachers yeah. Gary, but my mum, I knew when she was mad, it was Gary. You know, yeah. it was never Buddha. It was like you know Gary this, and it was never Buddha. But um, even even my my dad, you know, like. Buddha, you know, you're, you're going all right, or how school goes. Still, yeah. still now. Even you, now, yeah. Yeah, well, it's been yeah. abbreviated. It's Bud now, so <laughs> it's not Buddha. Um, growing up, was uh, footy the love right from the start? Massive passion, yeah. My father was a big uh, Carlton fan. Mm-hmm. Um, mum was as well. Yeah. The, the rest of the family, other siblings were all sort of just mixing in and out of different teams for, like most kids, who's yeah. on top of the ladder. You generally follow, but I think we were staunch Carlton. I'm not quite sure where the Carlton bit came mm. from. Um, my father went to a few grand finals early, 60s, 70s, and just picked it up. Um, two brothers played. Yep. My father didn't play a lot of footy. He was hurt, so he did national service mm. um, and hurt his back. 
and couldn't sort of play football for a while. Sort of four kids had to go and survive, mm. and uh, he sort of went into a hairdressing career and had to make the money. So, you know, struggled at times because I think when the Beatles come out yeah. and the long hair come out, yes. um, Dad had to change jobs. So he had to, for, for, for probably for about four or five years, he had to go and do something else because what, no one was no getting one? their hair cut. Really? Yeah. It actually dried up the way. It actually dried up, yeah. Is that right? Yeah. Um, I want to talk about that hairdressing in a moment. Before we do that, though, as you were growing up, did you have those flowing locks that you became so famous for, like the perm mullet, or was that something that came later? Uh, probably short. Was it? Shortish like it is now. Um, but just over time, I realised how poor my father was as a hairdresser, so I had to grow it. <laughs> I didn't want him cutting me hair. But uh, um, I think there's... I'm, I'm writing to the AFL about a stat. You know how yeah. you, sometimes you, uh, guys get um, accredited for, you know, like games... Yep. Without being injured, the most yeah, games. Well, yeah, I'm actually yeah. writing to the AFL now to see if I can get, you know, the most amount of games of the one hairstyle. Did uh, wonder how many haircuts when you were a young kid? You were barking for the Blues then, like. The yeah, thing. yeah, I was passionate, passionate Carlton. Um, I just love footy. Yeah, we used to the big, um, the big league used to be on. Yep. So we used to pull all the mattresses, all the pillows. We had numerous babysitters. My parents used to go out now and then, you know, to a. An odd show, show or two, and then the, the babysitter would come around, and it would be, I, nah, I'm not doing this anymore. The, you really couldn't these, handle it. These kids are mad. You know, we're putting holes in the wall. Yeah. We've got all the, the mattresses and blankets. We're taking hangers in the in the lounge room and just driving the babysitter insane. You know? Who was on your duffel coat? Did you have a duffel? We well, would have to have a duffel coat around. Alex Jeslenko. Was he? Yeah, we had the 25 on the Carlton jumper. I used to wear that yep. to training. Um, yeah, no. Loved Alex, loved uh, loved Carlton. He used to actually every grand final. He used to run up run up the uh, the corner shop and get a dollar worth of lollies, which was a fair bit back then. Yeah, so yeah, to get a big sure. bag so, and sing the Carlton theme song. Yeah, all the way up the uh, to every neighbour, just giving him giving him the uh, the uh, <laughs> where the navy blues. Yeah, yeah. Um, the hairdressing. Now you spent some time following in your dad's footsteps, didn't you? I think it's like most sons. You know, if yeah. your dad's a plumber, you end up maybe one of yep. the sons becomes a plumber or a carpenter and that sort of mm-hmm. thing. So my dad was into uh, hairdressing. i uh, done it for about 30, 40 years around Cobram. Mm-hmm. Um, and then my oldest brother, Craig, uh, he's four years older than me, so he, he took it up. And then I just... Stephen was a bricklayer, so yep. he was he was the had more grunt. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he was very good <laughs> at it. But um, I just... School, I was struggling at school. So I left yeah. about year, halfway through year nine. All I wanted to do was PE. And, yeah. you know, there's other subjects to be done. But all I, I just had a dream to play AFL or VFL back then. Mm. So Dad wasn't too worried about the results. He was just flicking right through the report. Oh, a plus, pretty good. That'll do. Mum's like, no, no, no. He, he needs to do, you know, Ds yeah. and Es and English and maths and all these yeah. sort of things are, are not great. Les, yep. he's got to get something about... I think Dad just sort of seen I might have had a future in, in sport and footy and just tried to push me in that path. So three years hairdressing. Were you studying in Melbourne? Were you doing it? Like it's an apprenticeship, was it? Yeah, an apprenticeship. Yeah? Yeah, yeah. So uh, a couple of stories, like, you know, um, nursing home. Yeah. So around Cobram, nursing home. So I left at about 3.30, got there about 4, didn't get home until about 8, 8 o'clock at night. So learning learning, learning the uh, craft. Um, yeah. So I used to go and cut a few of the oldies hairs in the nursing home <laughs> well four or five hours later I've come home it was about 8.30 yeah. rode, rode the bike home with all the tools on there dad said geez you must have had a big night tonight must have been a few and I said no I only had two so it took me like what just to do it then? took me two and a half hours to do we, men and women 
No, just guys. Just yeah. the guys. Just short back and sides. Um, did you have? But a... I was very particular. Okay. So it was very yeah. particular. Yeah, I had to make sure they they looked great. Did you have a standard cut that you liked? Was there a specialty? Short back and sides for the older guys. I probably yeah. practice on the most. Mm. Um, did have a letter by one guy saying it was the best haircut that he ever had <laughs> for 30 years. Really? You know, he left a letter under the door and yeah. my dad and my brother started laughing at me. You know, uh, it was it was quite amazing because when I was at school, you got taught to sort of stick the finger on one side and on the other side and see whether it was even or not. Yeah. So I'm just, you know, working away on one side. Yeah. Next minute, I sort of look in the mirror and thinking, hang on, I've gone too high on that side. Yeah. It's higher than the other side. Even oh, up. no, I've got to even it up. So then yeah. I'd work out... I get carried away, yeah. And I'm this high, and it's almost like a little pontiff cap, you know, <laughs> on the top of his head. And he wrote and said it was the best haircut he's ever really? had. Yeah, loved um, it. So I was off and running then. I had confidence. Is it true that you used to get into Dad Les's shop on the weekends and yeah. take some of your mates in there? Absolutely. When it was closed on the yeah. Sundays, so I was doing general hairdressing. So it wasn't just like men's or barbers. Mm. It was, I had to do ladies as well, so I had to do perming, colouring, yep. all that sort of stuff. So pretty much the 80s, mm. in excess. Um, Soft you know, metal. Some of the, yeah, you know, the, the, the colouring and the, the lightning bolts and yeah. the mohawk started to come in. So a yeah. lot of the kids in Cobram wanted to start, a, start to test the water. So I used to say, hey, you know, come in here and I'll, uh, good practice for me. I've got a few new ideas. Here we go. That was it. So had a few phone calls from the parents as well. Gee, I bet you would. Did you uh, make some coin out of it or were they all... All free. Oh, good on you. Yeah. Like a community service. Absolutely. That's fantastic. Um, what do you like with the with the scissors nowadays? Could you sort of tidy up or could you actually cutting edge fashion and, and make some real statements? Um, well, I used to cut my wife's hair for a while um, back You're in Geelong. Kidding. Yeah, I used to do... She had very, very long hair, so I used to go there and yeah. section it all up and cut it and that sort of thing. So, she, you know, she was very trusting. Um, I've done the odd haircut now. Yeah. I, I go to a fella just in Grange Road now, mm. um, guy Barrett's Report, and just got to know him over the time. And I can actually still feel the process of cutting. Yeah. Yep. Like I, I still know how to you know, move the head and sort of yep. be a step ahead of what you do yeah. when, when you're in the chair and with other people in the chair. So... But I, I haven't done much. You used to cut the kids' hair when they were little? No. You didn't? Not the bowl around the top? No. And... <laughs> didn't put the bowl on there. <laughs> no. Um, were you playing footy when you were cutting hair? Were you at, at the catch? Were you still cutting when you were playing no, like no, footy? No, no. So I was, I was at Cobram. I was playing yeah. in the seniors at Cobram. So um, used to go down for a couple of weeks down at the Flagstaff College of TAFE in Melbourne. Go down there on my own um, and just travel from Heidelberg. So I had a, another cousin. His name was Gary Hockey. He lived at... <laughs> Heidelberg. Yeah. He had a sister Susan. I had a sister Susan. So it just gets weird. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but uh, so I used to live there, get on the train, go in. I was about sixteen, so it was a bit of like an, an eye opener. Um, and I just met some really good people in there. You know, I met some other people who were doing hairdressing that were from Portland or from around Melbourne, mm. and just uh, had some friends. And they actually, because I was the younger one. Of the of the group, they sort of looked after me a fair bit. So, good so you, experience. Yeah, it sounds like it. Um, it's a life. But skill. I went to Geelong. Yes. So I went to Geelong late '85. Yeah. Uh, so the season of '86, I was looking for work. So no one would would really take me on, so it's because of the the finger injuries of footy and those sort of things, or you had to work Saturdays. Yeah. And in Geelong um, yeah. at that time, um, while well, I was playing footy, so I sort mm. of. I just went and did other stuff, yeah. and I just I just let let it go. Yeah. 
pretty quickly you're playing league footy for the Cats. So you're what, 18 years of age in 87, first game. Can you remember it well? Yeah, Melbourne. Yeah, so I actually missed out on the actual list of um, uh, 86 to 87. I thought I had a pretty good pre-season. And then, you know, well, John Devine, I felt like me. You know, John was a, you know, a, a tough sort mm. of player and he liked blokes who ran hard at the footy. And... Um, I was really disappointed I didn't make the actual 50, but I was on the supplementary list. So yep. I sort of said to myself, well, in three or four weeks, I'll show you. So I think we played St Kilda at Moorabbin. I had about 30-odd. Um, I played the first probably three or four or five games in the in the reserves, and I was mm-hmm. getting sort of best on ground, you know, putting my hand up. And then all of a sudden, I, I got the call up against Melbourne, uh, 987. So, Can you remember the call? How did you find out? Just selection. Just, you know, you're in, um, first game, da-da-da-da, all the stuff that happens. Parents got notified. They were pretty chuffed. Um, because 1986, the end of 1986, I was sent home. I didn't have didn't have work. I was very unsettled. I was being a bit of a rat bag. I was mm. tying bikes, bikes up to the, to the, um, to the roof um, of the change rooms. You know, I was out late at night. I, I yeah. was just couldn't, couldn't sort of settle. So they sent me home. I was being a... A bit of a nuisance. I wasn't playing too well, uh, but then I got the size ten and a half when I got home from dad, yeah. and just said, "You got, you need to get down there and put your head down and, and your bum up." And I was able to do that. So in three months, I was able to p- turn that around and play league footy with my brother at Skilled Stadium against Melbourne. Yeah. Um, first kick in league footy was a goal, just a little toe poke. Bruce Linder was actually about mm-hmm. to kick the ball, got pulled off the ball, and I've just come in and toe poked over the line. So I joined the illustrious club. The uh, first kick in league footy being a goal. Did Dad, was it something he said that made you turn things around so quickly or was it something within you that you decided, you know what, I'm, this is the one chance I'm going to I think it's the it. ten and a half to me, to my bottom, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was a reminding. All the time I played, I thought... Uh, look, Dad was always very firm. Dad always thought that we had the talent, all boys. Yep. And my oldest brother, Craig... Was very talented, but didn't make it. He, mm. he stayed, elected to stay home with mates and and, and work the trade. Um, Stephen was very driven. I I was just sort of you know just out there you know having fun, but then I, I quickly realised that you know I had a bit of talent and it was about time I sort of put it to use. Pretty quickly, you became one of the most important players in the club. It was a pretty exciting time for Geelong because you've been starved of su- you've been starved of success for such a long time. I think you hadn't played in the grand final since '67. It was, and a great time for footy too. It was physical, high marking, lots of contested footy. Um, tell us what it was like playing in that time. Well, I had really good role models. Michael Turner, Andrew Buse, Darren Flanagan. Um, who else was there? Uh, Damien Burke, Mark Boss, Mark Yates. We had a pretty good group that were fairly combative. Mm. Um, and we had talent, but we just weren't putting it together. It was maybe just the Geelong factor of being just away from Melbourne, happy to sort of be wearing the, you yeah. know, the, the hoops and that sort of thing, but mm-hmm. not actually understanding about, you know, uh, what what could, how much success yeah. we could have on the, on the uh, on the playing surface if we got things right. But also off the field, I reckon there was a few things with the board and stuff happening around the club that was just not quite professional enough um, until Malcolm Blight came. Mm. So I played six games in '87, three games because I was injured in. Um, in 88 and then Malcolm Blight came mm. so that was the determining factor for me to say this is it I've got to I've got to do something I've got to be different so I hired a uh, or didn't hire I got a bike um, 
my dad was a, always a writer, so I was, mm. always had an interest in writing. And I bought the um, the set of um, wheels that you one at the front and two at the back that you ride on indoors. Oh, yep. Training wheels, and I just smashed that over the preseason. I came off an injury, I reckon August. I had a, a bit of knee um, cartilage trimmed up, so I missed probably the last four to six weeks. That was the defining moment to, to me to say I have to do something. The penny had dropped. So I just worked as hard as I could. I wanted to be in the top three of everything, the weights, the training, you know, uh, off the field. I, I just got things in place. My parents moved down the late 88, mm. um, and that actually helped. So I moved in with them. Um, and then I, I found a young girl that, you know, that was just fantastic. You know, I just didn't have to be out all the time and go on places. You know, we just spent time together. I just played footy and, and just, like I said, just it was more actions than actually words. That's your wife, Mel. Valida, yeah. Still, still together now. Still together, yeah. Um, did she calm you down? Because you said earlier you, you're a bit of a rat bag. You're out and about having a bit of fun. Um, did she really help you with your football as well as your life? Absolutely, yeah. She actually seen the game fairly well. You know, even like through periods where I wasn't playing well, I'd come home and I'd be frustrated. But she would sort of say, "Oh, you're trying to run around the back to get a kick. You know, you know, you have to be down the ground." Mm. You know, when the ball falls at the and those sort of things, you're so trying to, you're looking, you're looking to get cheap kicks or really? you know those sort of things. And I'm, I was like, wow, you know, like she's always and, and her father's always followed Geelong, yeah, and the, the family has. But I was sort of taken aback that she actually didn't sort of. Um, she was a a girl that wasn't there just for the, you know, for the the trimmings. It was yes. she was actually genuine about me but also yeah. genuine about you know um, watching me in footy as well um, I got a lot of respect from that that she wanted to help me out as well and we, we just got on like a house on fire it was good well help you footy you said Blighty was there so 89 you guys playing a grand final tell us about Malcolm Blight there's so many stories he's part of folklore isn't he as well as being just a sensational player um, what was he like as a coach pretty innovative and he was out there at times very caring, um, I, I guess, and very kooky. Mm. Always, always <laughs> plotting, scamming, planning, trying to, trying to get you know something done. If we'd lose, you know, he, he would sometimes put his hand up and say, "Boys, look, I didn't coach that well." I, I reckon there was. That's the art of coaching. I reckon sometimes you got to be able to. If you feel like that you've cost the team, you've got to be able to put your hand up and say, "Hey, it was me." Or there's times where you know that the players haven't played that well. You've got to put the onus back on them and the responsibility. He was very good at that. Very crafty at the mind games, being able to manipulate, you know, the way you felt, um, and back you in. And you know, there's times where, like in a final, left Paul Couch and Mark Besto off. I walked in the middle part of the ground. Stephen Newport, Brett Lovett had planned all week to play on Couch and Besto, but they're on the bench. Yep. So they're looking around, going, "What do we do now?" And I'm actually giggling inside because I know this has been set up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I was watching these two, just like um, implode. Yeah. So yeah, this is one of the first semi-finals, and both Couch and Besto came on at halftime and had 20 odd each. We won the game. But it was just like, everyone's like, wow, um, that was pretty gutsy, Malcolm, mm. to leave two of your best players off the ground and back other guys in. But it worked. Mm. Yeah, so he sort of had that um, that natural, I don't know, what flair to sort of um, just try different things. Almost like a risk and reward, he would take that on. Very risky, yeah. Um, so, 89, you're playing a grand final, which I think is one of the greatest grand finals in history. 
Um, 42 goals scored. It was like a war of attrition. There were blokes just falling on both sides. Yeah. Tell us about your memories of that match. Well, the whole year was just a, a whirlwind. You know, when he came in, um, we, we played very uh, exciting footy. Even during the year, there was one game we played against Collingwood. He said three things, um, three or four things straight after the game. was absolutely frustrated. And he didn't say a lot after the game. If he was mad, you knew he was mad. Mm. And you knew during the week it was going to be like a flogging. That, you know, he punished us. We were trained for three or four hours over the pre-season. Even during the year, he just punished you if you weren't playing at the competitive level that he wanted. Um, so there was a game. He said, don't... Uh, he said, bring your... Bring your mouth guards Monday, that's all he said. So we're on the track, I think it was after the Collingwood game, the MCG, we got beaten, and uh, we're all sitting in the change room, everyone's doing ways, thinking this is going to be the toughest mm. session we've ever had. Comes in, gets us together and goes, boys, you know, I've had a bit of a think about it. Two of your teammates have just opened a pub, Bruce Linder, Darren Flanagan, the Valley Inn. I think we should go down and just have a little bit of a celebration with them, and the whole mindset changed for the whole group. Yeah. We won the next nine in a row and ended up playing in that grand final. So yeah. Essendon beat us in the qualifying final, yeah. our first one. During that week, he said, got an idea for you, Blakes, because you're travelling on the way down from Geelong or the way up. He said, there's a hockey field just outside of Footscray. He said, we'll get a few footies on the bus, get off, have a kick and a catch, mm. um, you know, get yourself right, come to the game, get stripped and go and play all um, I think Essendon beat us by 82 points in the yeah. in the qualifying final. Next week, we played Melbourne, and it was a, a wet game. Um, we just belted up Melbourne. We just really just, you know, redemption from the week before. Yep. And it was more we were disappointed that um, about our performances for Malcolm. Mm. Not for anyone else, we let Malcolm down. And that's that's what he had as a coach. It's almost like you were playing for him. Yeah. And every time you lost, it's almost like you had to play harder for him. And it was that was the disappointing that you let him down. So the next week, we just, all of us got together and said, nah, this, we've just got to go and belt up Melbourne, which we did. Yeah. Um, and then the prelim, Gary Ablett, you know, out at, uh, out at Waverley against Essendon, we won by 81 points, demolished Essendon. Ablett was on fire. Um, I think he kicked seven or eight at half forward. And then we went, rolled into the grand final mm. against a team that was going back to back. So we were the new kids on the block. We probably were too built up. We probably need to play our own sort of natural game. John Farnham was in the room, supposedly, at the next to the door, um, just at the start of the game. Most of us have walked past, didn't, didn't see him. We were that... We were that sort of uh, energised and yeah. ready to play. And Malcolm... Only, only said that Hawthorne will have the the ball a fair bit. They're a tough, you know, experienced mm. team. We've got to get the ball off them. He also said that I want to see if you switched on. So everyone before the bounce, when when Berkey comes back, tosses the coin, selects the end. Mm. Wants you to raise your fist. So if you people who are listening go back and watch that game, yeah. we're all got our fists raised. Look at the box, and all of us. 21 of us back then, salute to us, and he'll know that we're all switched on, so we've done that. Well, first quarter, we were like 30 points down. Yeah. He's come out and said, well, well, well hang on. You know, I go by a few frees. I was over the top. Yep. The Doomy incident was all set up during the week. You know, so to, there was a bit of payback from round six with Yates. Yes. Um, how did how was that brought up during the week? Well, we had a meeting, and uh, Couchy won the Couchy won the Brownlow that week. Yep. So we just thought Doomy might just be thinking about making a statement. Might just come through mm. and take out the the 89 Brownlow medalist. Um, 
so we're all holding our breath for that. But we had we had Plan B. You know, Yates was going to come off the side of the square. We spoke about it. Um, he was going to it's payback, but it was also protection for for Couch and the boys in the middle. So I remember walking in to the centre square. I was 20, and uh, you know, there's 99,000 people there, and it's quite um, you know quite amazing when you run run down the race through the banner, take the photo of the seat, uh, you know, get the the photo done, and then you're off, and you know, everything's just going round. Yeah. There's balloons flying everywhere, and it's very hard to sort of settle at 20, let alone even any other age. So, um, good protection for him. Seen it coming. I I didn't want to be in that area. I said I'm up the other end. <laughs> and yeah. then uh, all of a sudden, Gary's Gary's coming out of the out of the forward line. T- took that big hanger, and then, and then we look up and go, "Geez, you got him," you know. We thought he was out. So our confidence as a group was sky high. But all of a sudden, he got up and started to vomit, suck a few breaths in, yep. walk towards the forward line, and he, he ended up kicking mm. three goals, which is just... Our confidence just went, uh-oh, hang on. He's only been stung. He hasn't been really hurt. And we knew we were in, in a bit of trouble. Eight goals down, I think, a quarter time. Uh, four goals, sorry. 40 points down at quarter at quarter time there. Roughly. Um, yeah. yeah, the game changed remarkably. Injuries left, right and centre, and you get the six goals down at three-quarter time. At three quarter time. Yeah. And get within a goal. It was a phenomenal match. What, what was Blighty like during that match as it was ebbing and flowing? Um, well, yeah, lots, it came out at quarter time and just said, look, got it wrong, uh, built you guys up too much, let's just play our style. That's all we have to do. If we're going to win it, we're going to win it playing our style, they won't be able to keep up. So we just kept, you know, Adam and Adam. It was just like they kick goal, we kick two, they kick one, we try and kick one, we kick one, they kick two. It was just like backwards and forwards. Some of the contests were just like epic, you know, some of the one-on-one stuff. Um, I had a, a bit of a, uh, a collision with Platten, you know, um, mm. and then Dipper squared up with me. So he's broken half my tooth, nine stitches in the lip, you know, and then I'm running back to halfback flank and he's saying, I got you once. I'm going to get you again and again and again. And I was looking for a, a, a ground to swallow me up. I was, he's this six, six foot two beast saying to me he's going to clean me up again. And I'd already, you know, been cleaned up. It was just epic. Like, it took me, you know, it took me a good few years to sort of recover from that game physically. Really? Physically and also mentally. It was one that, you know, a grand final. You never mm. want to lose one. Mm. Uh, we went back to the town hall. There was 19,000 people there, you know, which we, we we thanked. But it was almost like, thanks, but we haven't we haven't got anything mm. t- to show for it. They were just proud of the performance, I think. So it took a while to be able to overcome that well, grief of losing, but also the physicality of the game was was uh, was probably I would say now um, was probably the hardest game I played in. A lot of blokes went down. Johnny Platten, what happened to him? What did you do? Just a contest. Just, what did you do, buddy? Just a contest. What, just what a, did you do to Johnny Platten? Just Platton? a little elbow to the head <laughs> where I missed the ball. But I uh, thought, well, hang on, you know, um, there's no tomorrow. Mm. You've got to follow through. And then, like I said, I, I got I got cleaned up by Dipper and that was payback. I think uh, Ayres, Ayres was hurt. Burke was hurt. My brother got a knee 
um, to the lower groin from. He actually had a nasty injury, didn't he? From yeah, he had a, a ruptured testicle. Yeah, if I can say that. Mm. Um, I think it was a knee from Dermy with a skirmish in the pocket in the first quarter. Dipper had punctured lungs. Mm. Um, a punctured lung. It was quite epic. It was like you said, it was bikes going down everywhere and if there was a draw, mm. we're not sure if too many would turn up the following week. Probably would have been four or five at least each side that wouldn't have played. Wouldn't well, Geelong lost the whole three games. We had the yeah. under-19s in. Yep. We had... Um, had the reserves. I had think the reserves in. With um, Doc Wield and Paul Brown yeah, from Kenny, memory. Kenny Hinckley was playing in the, in the yeah. twos that day and I think it was under 10 points the margin yep. of the whole three games. So... It could have been a good year for us. Monday night, it's the best in the business. With everything you need to know about footy. Join Luke Darcy, Wayne Carey, Tim Watson and Sam McClure for Talking Footy. Clarko clearly not happy after the game, maybe even a little emotional. He's got to do some soul searching and he's got to be concerned about where they're at. Monday nights at 7.30 on 7 Mate. Gary Ablett, obviously unbelievable that day. Tell us a bit about Gary. You would know him as well during that time. So many different stories and myths about him. Brams goes for goal. Brambles at the back. This could be the record number of goals kicked in the grand final at the moment held by Gilbert Burton. Gary Ablett has kicked eight, a chance to kick his ninth. Here goes Ablett for goal number nine, and he's threatened it. Firstly, as a teammate, what was he like? Fantastic fella, like, you know, um, very funny, mm. um, like amazing talent. I, I just, you just had to sit back. When you come off the ball back then, you didn't go to the interchange like they do now. So you go in the forward pocket and you, it's almost, you just sit back and just watch the show. He, he's beaten two, three blokes, the power, the speed, you know, the distance the ball would travel when he kicked it. You know, it was like, I'd just never seen that before. You know, I've seen him at training a little bit, but when, and he didn't train a lot. He saved himself for the for the uh, for the Saturdays <laughs> for the show. Yeah, for the show. But um, he was just um, an incredible, you know, um, player and a really funny person off the off the field. He got on well with the boys. He didn't know, he didn't know too many of the teammates. Mm. Did, what, even the names, or didn't know them didn't well. Didn't know everybody. He only <laughs> knew a few, a handful. Um, but you know, when he trained. And when he did train, and yeah. that might have been once every couple of weeks, it was quite incredible to watch. You know, just I've never seen anyone that could generate that speed and hit blokes as hard. You know, I've seen him take out Wayne Johnson at Skilled Stadium, mm -hmm. Mitchell White sat in front of him, John Gastev at the Gabba. You know, blokes were trying to um, sit, sit in the hole. And we used to pinpoint, we used to try and pinpoint him, but Malcolm used to come out in quarter time and go, hey, boys, that ain't working, sit it up. And just let Gary, and he'd go, Gary, you know what you need to do? And Gary's eyes would light up. <laughs> and next minute, we'd be, we'd be watching. We'd just tip the ball up in the air, and it's, oh, there's another one. Really? You know, he, he was very damaging. Yeah. Just the, the speed and the power that he could hit people. Um, very funny. Um, like I said, hardly knew teammates, <laughs> hardly knew the opposition. <laughs> And late to meetings. Like, I used to sit next to the door and Malcolm would be at his at his peak in the team meeting. The next minute, there'd be a little knock on the door. I'd open, next to the door, I'd open the door and Gary would walk in, oh, sorry, boys, you know, like a uh, flat tyre or um, had to drop the kids off at the, you know, the, the creche or, uh, you know, like didn't know where to go, forgot where the ground was and stuff like that. And, and we're like, yeah, all right, mate. 
sit down, um, Melbourne finish, and then he'd go and kick 14. Yeah. Or he'd go and kick 12, <laughs> or he'd just destroy teams. So you sort of, there was no leadership programs back then. Yeah. And it just got out of a hand over, over you know, like mm. I think at about 94, 95, it just started to sort of, leadership was coming in. Yeah. Um, it just started to sort of um, irk a few guys about the way it was. he was carrying on, both on the field and also off the field. But plenty of, plenty of good stories. Um, training once, there was a bit of a rehab group with guys on bikes, wasn't there? Yeah, Gary yeah. Involved. Yeah, so 95, as he was coaching, mm. and I was in rehab fairly fairly often m- most years, um, getting the knee tidied up and a few other things, and uh, we were told to bring a bike because we were down doing dragon boat racing with Phil Walsh. Yep. Um, he was our fitness guy, so he thought something different over the pre-season, get into dragon boat racing, very team-orientated, get into sync, you know, one, two, beat the drum, all that sort of stuff. So anyway, we're all waiting there, and about 6 o'clock, next minute, we're all got our bikes waiting for Gaz. Next minute, we hear this rumbling coming through the, the trees in this track. Anyway, here he rocks up on a um, on a Harley-Davidson, and as he sort of walks over and goes, mate, you know, he's supposed to bring a push bike. You go, it's a recovery. <laughs> you need to go, there's a 20k, there's a 20k bike track, and you can't ride a motorbike on it. What are you doing? He said, oh, I just thought you said bring a bike, so I thought I'd bring a motorbike. <laughs> <laughs> Quite funny, but just getting back to the 89 grand final, he kicked yeah. nine, and we were filthy on Gary. He should have kicked ten. We might have either squared the game up. Very <laughs> filthy. Nine wasn't enough, Gazza. He should have kicked ten. It's a phenomenal performance, wasn't it? Um, now, you, we talked about John Platten. You were spent a few times visiting the tribunal, didn't you? How many times reported? Fourteen. Okay, how many times? Not proud of it. No. Fourteen. <laughs> how many times suspended? Seven. And just a game each time, pretty much? There was nothing yeah. too big? Yeah, one, one, one to two. Yeah. yeah. Um, how did your wife used to deal with her Monday nights? Good. She never used to have to cook. <laughs> she never. She thought, looking at the game on the weekend and and watching me very close, she she would think that I don't have to cook on a Monday night. She would see that I'd possibly be at the tribunal, and I was always ringing the football manager. Has anything come through? So go to work um, on a Monday, working on the cancel, wherever I was, and I'd be ringing in, you know, Gary Davidson, Gary Fletcher, has anything come through? Is there anything on the, mm. anything on the, on the, on the facts that's come through? Nothing yet, Gary, but we'll see. And you then, know you'd done something. I knew. Yeah. I knew going into the game mm. that I was always plotting um, and planning um, to try and shake someone who I felt might have been tagging me, stopping yeah. me from doing my best. And yeah performing for the team so I always sort of went into the game knowing each week who I'd who I'd get mm. and what I've tried before mm. and what I might be able to get away with Mark yes. knowing that there's only sort of a broadcast angle yeah. and not like there is today where it's everywhere. everywhere so I wouldn't be able to play too many today um, in terms of that how did you go at the tribunal obviously you, you got done for half the times that you went up um, did you have any techniques to try and get yourself through when you were visiting the big boys there at AFL House? Always wanted to be very honest. Mm-hmm. Always tried to portray that I didn't uh, mean to do it. Uh, a few times, well, there actually was a letter that was sent to uh, the football manager, Gary Davidson, about um, myself trying to intimidate the, um, the tribunal board. So I, I What would, did you do? Well, I'd just stare them out. <laughs> <laughs> Mr Buzzy. 
yeah. Neil, I would just uh, I would just look at him and not for the whole night look anywhere else, but just look him dead set and the others, Emmett Dunn and those sort of guys, I can remember who were there, and absolutely just stare them out yeah. to try and prove my innocence. And I knew I was guilty. Yeah. I knew I'd done the crime. Mm. I just didn't, didn't want the time, that was all. So they, they had enough yeah. and they sent a letter to the footy club saying, if your player wants to intimidate us, uh, any more, uh, then there will be more things done. Really? Yeah, the sentence will grow. Um, as you said, you, you'd know that there were some blokes that were coming for you each week. Um, this might be a nice cathartic opportunity, like a confession, Buddha, right now. Is there anything you'd like to admit to get off your chest, given that obviously you had to take law into your own hands at times? No, not really. There's stuff that back then that was just done, you know, mm. and players knew. And you'd, you know, unfortunately, I reckon it was about 1988, 89, that the, the players meeting post-game, you know, to have a beer yep. and those sort of things ended. Mm. And uh, I reckon that was a, a bit of a sad thing because you played the game hard. You crossed the line. There was plenty of combative people that you played against and played with. And that was just back then, you know, there was a, a, a player's rule at the tribunal that you, you wouldn't dob each other in. I remember the grand final dipper. I walked in with a big fat lip, um, broken tooth. I tried to, you know, um, give evidence uh, facing away from the tribunal people so that <laughs> Dipper could get off. Just so they couldn't see the damage. So they, face, so they yeah. couldn't see the damage on my face. Um, I also lied a little bit about the contact, saying it was more around the neck area. Mm. Um, but I had this massive fat lip and that sort of thing, and he ended up getting six weeks. But the next time we played Hawthorne, he made his way over to, sh to shake my hand and say thanks very much for all your efforts and those sort of things. The following year, 1990, uh, I got ahead of the ball and Craig Kelly came off his man and cleaned me up and uh, I got 50, kicked a goal at Waverley. And I went to the tribunal and said the same thing. I just played, played dead, played for mm. the free kick, no contact, you know. And I used to use Malcolm as a, um, as a technique um, with the tribunal. So I said, you know, Malcolm's always telling us about you know, fluffing the umpires, falling over, trying to get a free, mm. you know, doing those sort of things. And they, the tribunal would believe me. Oh, really? And even in um, 1989, this, the, the game that we played, the, uh, the semi-final we played against Melbourne, Peter Road was coming coming at the ball and I ended I end up not going for the ball, I ended up kicking him in the leg as hard as I could. And Peter, who worked at Port, when I worked at Port, yeah goes, uh, Gary, do you remember uh, the game? I said, yeah, I do, Peter, I do, I do apologise. <laughs> but I went into the tribunal saying, look, it started to rain, the ball yeah. was greasy, Malcolm at quarter time talked about getting yardage, kicking the ball mm. off the ground. So that's all I tried to do. Now, I do apologise for making contact with Mr Rhodes' leg. <laughs> I got a $2,000 fine. That was it? $2,000 fine. The 89 prelim final out of Waverley, mm. the president, Ron Hovey, comes to me before the game. And he grabs me and he goes, son, he goes, if you get us into the grand final, he said, I'll, I'll pay the two grand for you. And I said, you, is that right? Mm. And he said, yep, done. I had 36 and kicked a couple. Beautiful. Locked away. Nice. So. All covered. He was a man of his word. A man of his word. That was good motivation. But the tribunal was initially, um, I got very nervous. Yep. The 14th time, I was very settled. Yeah, you would have been. <laughs> and Mal didn't have to cook tea. And, uh, yeah, look, it only cost me seven games, but it's just the way I played. Buddha, 
Tell us about Whiskers. Buddha's a great nickname, but how did this Whiskers thing come about? Were you the first one they approached at Geelong? Uh, no, I, I don't think I was, Cyrus. <laughs> <laughs> I was at home. Uh, so full-time footy, I'm at home. I think I might have been mowing the lawns or um, might have been cleaning the pool or something like that. And uh, Melina goes, Brian Cook's on the phone. I said, OK. I thought that's that's strange that Cookie would ring me sort of during the day. And anyway, he goes, hey... But it's Brian. Um, look, just want to talk to you about something that's exciting and that's mm. you know it's coming up in the next uh, week or two, and uh, we want to try and catch up. And I, I was a bit you know um, intuitive. I said, so Brian, uh, so what is it? What what? Are, oh, it's it's about you might have to change your name. I said, yeah yeah, but give me some more information. You know, um, he goes, look, all I want to know, are you in or not? And I said, well, I'm in. You know, I'll, I'll do it, whatever it is, I'll do it. Because the club, I think, was at that stage was $7.5 million in debt. Yeah. Um, I think that was because they had Ablett play there for, uh, you know, 10 or 12 years. He just <laughs> sucked, sucked everything out of, uh, out of the footy club money-wise. We, we pretty much played for nothing. But I said, look, I'm in. Anyway, he said, look, discussions will take place. It became official this afternoon. Gary Hocking of Cobram, and now a resident of Geelong, was no longer... For a week and a bit, Buddha will be known as Whiskers after a formal application to change his name by deed poll and earn himself $20,000, but more importantly, $120,000 for his cash-strapped club. So what happened was, in between that, someone from Whiskers, mm -hmm. um, during, during the next week, I reckon it was, um, I wasn't supposed to go on... I, I was at training. I think it might have been the Thursday night. So leading into that week, we're training on the Thursday night... Um, the footy show was going to air a couple, like an hour or two later and then um, it wasn't supposed to be bought out until the Monday. So anyway, someone from the, some, I think it's a girl from, I might, might be getting this wrong, but there was a contact at Whiskers who had a contact at the footy show, might have been a relationship mm. or just a contact, that caught wind. So that was going to the footy show. Now the footy show were going to air that night, on the Thursday night. And I didn't know a lot about what was going on. Mm. So I had to be quickly briefed yep. about what, who it is, what's happening, how much money, who, what, who's getting... Yep. Is there any other beneficiaries out of this mm. with the money and, and whatever else? So quickly I was whisked off the track, showered, polo on, um, driven to the um, Mercure Hotel in, in Geelong and quickly... Um, it's going to be X amount of money. Um, you, you'll need to promote this, do this, do that, do that. Now I'm on the I'm on the set and Sam Newman's, you know, and they got the the whiskers tin yeah. and they're doing all these here kitty kitty and <laughs> you know and all this sort of stuff. And Sam was like just having so much fun. And I'm I'm thinking, well, I'm just going to be straight faced and not laugh at that sort of stuff. It's yep. pretty serious. But I just, I wasn't mm. sort of seeing that, so I didn't come across that that well at all. And I sort of wasn't that rehearsed about what was going mm. on so I was sort of making it up yeah I think it's going to a um, you know obviously the money's going to the club but mm. some portion's going to a um, a, a cat facility um, mm. you know all this sort of thing and <laughs> you know it was just I was thrown to the wolves a little bit in, in regards to that it wasn't gonna, like going to come out until the Monday so the whole process yep. was um, on that Monday go and change your name so drive to Melbourne Act, change it legitimately by deed go on Go and change your name at the, the register and bursa yep. registers. Go and change your name to Whiskers for the full week. Yep. 
I had to be named Whiskers. Did when you had to go and do that? Did they look at you when you said I'm changing my name to Whiskers? And they no, thought, it was all set up. People, okay. yeah, they knew. People knew at the. Yeah. So there's people I had to meet up in Melbourne. Yeah. Um, so that was done. Changed it over. All the week, the players are you know out the track calling me Whiskers <laughs> and. <laughs> You know, then the AFL are going, well, hang on, what if what if I get a Brownlow vote? Yeah. You know, so we played Richmond, I reckon it was, and as soon as I got off the bus, there was like 3,000 people around the bus, like just clamouring around, you know, and whiskers, and there was televisions everywhere, and I was just a shy kid yeah. from Cobram, and this was like, wow. I didn't play that well. Part of it was because, you know, it was just... it. Um, it just took over me, you know, like mm. from I just the whole week and the whole yep. thing of carrying that and everything going on. I just didn't perform well enough under under that pressure. So, um, but yeah, the, the club got you know good money out of it, good exposure. I think it went to BBC, it went to CNN. Um, there was a lady um, I think on CNN who introduced the news and went and we're just in, in Australia. We got um, Geelong's Gary Buda Hawking, you know, as <laughs> done something, you know, way new in football and changed into Whiskers and all this sort of thing. It was just going, it was going berserk. I was on the front page of Herald Sun. Whiskers themselves put my head on a, on, on the, the cat food, yep. the jelly meat thingo. Um, that was the flavour? The jelly what meat. flavour were you, jelly meat? It was the jelly meat flavour, yeah. yeah. So, um, and then I'm in supermarkets promoting it, um, you know, yeah, it was it was pretty pretty crazy for a while. Yeah. What did you get out of it personally, besides a fair bit of grief from people? Just the grief. <laughs> Nothing. They didn't give you. Uh, there was a little bit of financial um, yeah. behind it. Yeah. There was some stuff like some jumpers and um, some cushions that people could sit on at the footy that I signed, and I've got a whole heap of cat food still in my garage. Um, <laughs> I don't have a cat. Uh, <laughs> I can't get rid of. Um, but it's quite funny. You know, all the memories come flooding back when, when I now watch TV and the, whisk, the the ad comes on, whiskers and that sort of thing, and even the kids give me a bit of grief with it now <laughs> sort of thing. So all in all, did it for the footy club, yeah. Four-time best and fairest, which is quite remarkable. Uh, there's a guy, Dick Grigg, back yeah. 19... Uh, 1902, 1903, something like that? 10, 11, 12 and 14. He oh, okay. won four. He's the only other one. When you look at the names at Geelong, it's phenomenal. Obviously, both the Ablets there, Polly Farmer, Billy Goggin, Joel Selwood, Modern Times, Paul Couch. You and Dick are the only ones with four best and fairests, which is remarkable. I think Gary Jr.'s got one. Uh, Gary Jr.'s got two. Gary Sr. one. Polly Farmer, two. Paul Couch, three. Yeah. You're in pretty rarefied air there, Buddha. Well, it's not always about... Well, it's never about the best and fairest. That's just about, you know, the, mm. the way you play and the way you go about your footy and that sort of thing. So it's your peers... You know, which voted for me, and I, you know, it was never ever did I ever go into a game trying to get best and fairest votes. All I wanted to do, and and the way I played, the way I did, was because it was the way I was brought up um, to always play the game hard. Dad always said that to me. You know, just to attack the footy as hard as you can. But also, it was trying to win a flag for the Geelong people. They had been '63. They tried in '67. They played two prelims in '80, 80, '81 against Collingwood. Mm. And didn't didn't win, you know. They had some great teams, so it became very frustrating for me. You know, I knew the history of the club, I knew the history of the players. You know, I used to see the '63 team come in for a luncheon every year, you know, and every few years, um, and they they get together. So Alistair Lord, Freddie Wooler, those sort of guys, you know, were always around the club and always talking about '63, and that's all I wanted out of footy was to 
go to a luncheon 10 years later or 20 years later or 30 years later and just have a reunion and just celebrate with the guys. And, you know, we played in four um, and it just become mm. very taxing. Um, we, we just tried even harder each year, you know, 92, 94, 95. You know, I just, I just seen the, the people's faces, you know, when you, yep. you see them after the game or you see them at training and that sort of thing, you know. It was just truly disappointing that we just couldn't win one for them. Um, you finished in 2001. I yep. think it's been well reported that uh, you didn't really leave the club on great terms. Um, what happened? Well, during the, during the 2001 season, I, well, all through my career I struggled with knees. So there was periods where I felt like I was bulletproof and I could run, mm. you know, as fast as I could for as long as I could, you know. But there was times, 95, 98, where it caught up with me. Um, so at the end of 1998, 99, I sort of had some, um, some ankle issue. Uh, so I left, I sort of pulled the pin at about halfway through the season. I had tendonitis. I think it was about late 99. I had tendonitis after a game. Didn't do anything through the pre-season. So very light pool, bike, minimal weights. And then I started training back in January and it was no good. You know, it was like sore. So I was mm. getting um, local anaesthetic to, to train, local anaesthetic to play. And in the end, I just said, nah, I've got to pull up stumps. It's just too... And I, I've had a pretty good pain tolerance throughout my, mm. for, throughout my career. And... Um, could almost play with anything really, and um, it just got to me. So then 2001 came along, and I think that halfway during the year, I was niggling again. There was a game over in Frio um, that they took me over, and uh, I did the I did the, uh, the the test that you do to see whether you're going to play or not. Past that, beat the fitness guy with a with um, what he was doing, mm. thought I was going to be playing, and then I went up to my hotel room and Mark Thompson and uh, Barry Richardson, ex-Richmond, ex he was the chairman selector. So they said, look, go up to your room for an hour, yep. come back down, and then um, we'll, uh, sorry, we'll, we'll call you, and then we'll discuss it. So I was in my room for an hour, phone rings, come down, in the foyer at the hotel, I think the old Duxton at Perth there on the mm. waterfront, and they said, look, we're not going to play you. And I, I, I just stared at him. I just said, like, why? You brought me over here for three days away from my family. Mm. I've just passed the fitness test. I'm right to go. I'm at the end of my career. I just want to play. It's got nothing to do with dollars. It's yep. got nothing to do with anything else. I just love the, mm. I just love the, the thrill of playing and, and, and competing. So right then and there, I felt there was like a bit of a change but they weren't sort of telling me what was mm. going on. They wouldn't be up front and saying, look, we're just going young. You've you, you got to move on. Had they said that, I probably would have stuck my hand up and said, I'm done. Let the next kids play. Yep. I was still playing okay. So post that game, I think who played? Josh Hunt might have come in and played his mm. first game, which is great for the footy club because he became a really good player for the Cats and a premiership player. No issues with that. It was just that they couldn't come around and tell me what was going on. And I thought after playing the way I did and doing what I did for the footy club, I just deserved that opportunity to say, look, you know, um, it's going this way for you. So anyway, we had a meeting and everyone was in there. There was Alan McConnell, Bomber, Barry Richardson, um, Brendan McCartney, the who's who of the, the match mm. committee, just talking, discussing. I walked out of that 
that meeting going, it's all over. I sort of looked back at the grandstand, had a look around, took it all in and said, well, that's 16 years, yep. all wrapped up, gone. So the competitive bit in me said, you're not giving up, you're going to fight it. Um, you know, um, what's the word? Stubbornness, pig-headed, uh, just got the better of me. And I just didn't want to give it away. So I've become... Bomber's relationship and my relationship became a bit toxic towards the end. Um, you know, I was just walked down the corridor. There's very quickly a, a good day and goodbye mm. pretty quickly, you know. And um, But in the end, I just thought, well, the best thing I need to do for my family and for me and for the fans and for the footy club um, was to try and go out the best way possible, which I decided to put the white flag up and say, well, look, it's more important that, you know, we uh, we do this properly and it's good for both both sides and move on. So it's taken a while to sort of get over that, yeah. Left a bad taste in your mouth for a while, didn't it? Oh, a little bit, yeah. And it's a bit of me too, being just stubborn yeah. and being competitive and strong-willed and just didn't want to give the game away, you know. And I just felt like the rug was being pulled from underneath me a little bit and I just felt I deserved um, a bit of loyalty, which I, I felt I didn't quite get, you know. But, it's look, it's all... It's all been good now, you know. I've been back a few times. I've presented medals. I've been the best and fairest. You know, 2007 was a watershed day for all of us who played in, mm. you know, the four grand finals that were able to win. I couldn't be more proud of the footy club, you know, the, the, the three flags and the way that they've done the stadium, the way they've got their act together. It's, you know, I really admire what Geelong and the people have done now. Your wife, Melina, she had a bit to play with you getting your head around Geelong, yeah. though, didn't you? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, she, um, well, you know, you're at home and you, you get a bit, you know, antsy about it all and there was just times I was watching Geelong, you know, thinking that it'd be good to see them lose and stuff like that, you know, because of the, my own experiences that I had, you know, and I, I just used to probably bag them a bit and then mm. the kids are coming through and it wasn't fair for them. You know, Lockie was into his footy. Who knows whether he was going to play at Geelong or not, but he didn't need his father, you know, bagging the... The, the club and that sort of thing. So she said, you know, do you actually know what you sound like and you've got kids around you and, you know, they, they might want to grow up Barrick for Geelong. They might not want to have the, you know, the bad taste in the mouth like you've got. So then I I quickly went, wow, yeah, that's, that's pretty good. You know, so it all changed then. Yeah. Obviously, with your coaching, you've been at the Western Jets in the junior program. Yep. Um, also with Geelong Falcons with, with your old mate Michael Turner there yeah. and been over at Peel Thunder too. You talked about... Um, uh, Malcolm Blight being innovative and, and a little different. Now, I remember watching once some footage of you coaching Peel Thunder and was it almost a blighty moment? I reckon you had all the players in one half of the ground once, yeah. didn't you? Yeah, it was. Well, 2002, I went to the VFL. I went to North yeah. Ballarat, so I still had a point to prove, you know. Uh, there's still a thorn in the side for me um, that was, you know, was sort of sticking with Geelong. I just wanted to prove that I could still play. So I went to North Ballarat thinking... I'll show you. I can still play. I can still mm. do this and that. But it was a very poor, poor year for me. I got into coaching. Like you said, I went yeah. to the Jets, spent a year there. They were bottom um, and they, they weren't great. But, you know, we got them in the finals and then I was sort of whisked away a little bit to to Mandra because there's like a lot of canals and, you know, uh, it was a bit of a boom over there. So mm. Phil Clossy was in charge of um, the Geelong Football League. He rang me on the way home from the car. I was at the Western Jets training one night. He goes, I've got a great thing for you. It'll be good for you. 
you know, get you back in the system. It's a, um, a team that needs someone to develop it and you'd be the right person. So I went over, had a look, I was on a couple of boats, wind and dine, thinking this is great, weather, you know, train the singlet during the middle of the year, mm. it's bloody 30 odd degrees, fantastic. So it sold me. I didn't worry about too much about the playing list. I thought that would be all fairly, yeah. <laughs> you know, in the background, that sort of thing. It was sort of all happened pretty quickly. But it went downhill in the second year. First year we won six games. I think round nine we got our first win down at Catanning, which is down mm-hmm. near sort of uh, Lake Grace where Mark Bairstow was. We beat South Fremantle. So that was a that was a big win for us. So got a bit of confidence from that. The second year we lost a couple of key forwards and then we just couldn't score. And uh, we are playing West Perth. So it, just, it, it started off rolling one back like normal teams would do now. Then all of a sudden... It was the the half backs would come come back, so there's three back. The wings would go to half back. The half forwards would come to the wing. The other forwards would come up and play at half forward. Then that didn't work, and then it was, you know, numbers back, and it was just frustrating. We just, you know, we we tried to put a lot of numbers back and and, and get the ball, chip the ball around for a, you know a little bit before the numbers reset forward, and then see if we can attack that way. So we, we tried to defend with 17 or 18 in general play. Yep. Anyway, they just kept winning the ball. We just, one of those days, we just couldn't do anything right. Backs couldn't defend, mids couldn't get the ball, forwards couldn't do anything. And then all of a sudden it was a centre bounce. I think we're 130-odd points down and I yelled to the runner. And this is where the Malcolm, mm-hmm. but the inexperience of me in my second or third year um, coaching came out and I said to the runner, everybody back. And he's like, even the guys in the centre square? And I went, yep, everyone. But they're going to defend as an 18. And I didn't know there was no rule. Yep. Because there was no rule. You could have 18 back. You didn't actually have to have four in the centre square. But they've quickly changed it now since, in Western Australia, since that, that you must have four in the centre square at all times. So... You know, I pulled the wrong rein. It was farcical. Um, so the know. players were all everyone in the was every zone. the whole A team were back behind the play. Yep. West Adelaide, not West Adelaide. West Perth went up. The bloke in the ruck tapped the ball down to the midfielders. They handballed around for two or three times, worked the ball to about seventy metres out, found another guy, and then he went and kicked the goal. And I'm like. We might as well just get the interchange out there too, you know, and the trainers <laughs> and the six blokes in the box. We might as well have 45 out there trying to defend sodas. It was just <laughs> one of those days in footy. But it was no doubt, no doubt, Malcolm coaching me over mm. the time, and I, I don't want to blame him, mm. but some of his stuff to think on his feet. Mm. I was not going to sit there and sit on my hands and mm. I was going to try something. That was who I was, yeah. You tried something, right? Um, not long afterwards, obviously, you went to Port Adelaide, spent some time there as well. Well, I went back to the Falcons, which was yep. good for me for four years. Yeah. Yep. You find yourself at Port Adelaide, yep. um, and if we fast forward a little bit, Matty Primus gets the bullet, and you're coaching the AFL team. Yeah. Um, Crazy. How did, how did that come about? How did you get the call? Because I think Sean Wren was there at the time, and there was a bit of talk about who would be the caretaker coach. How did you find out it was going to be you? Yeah, well, so Keith um, Keith rang me in the car because they were all meeting at P- Peter Rhodes' place. He was Keith f- Thomas. Keith Thomas, yep. yeah. So they were all meeting at um, 
at uh, Peter Rhodes' place, all the all the coaches and, and some of the staff and that sort of thing. So we're all going to go around and have a beer with Maddie and wish him well and, you know, say, mate, you know, it's devastating, da-da-da-da, that sort of thing, support him. So anyway, on the... Just before I left, I got a call at home and Keith had been talking to um, some of the people around the club and the board and, and that sort of thing, some of the directors and that, and they said, we find, we feel that you would be the best person. And I said, thanks very much, I just need a bit of time. I went to talk to Melina mm. um, about it and uh, so I had a quick discussion about her, rang my parents, um, I always rang Dad about different things, talked about it, and he said, yeah, just go for it, you know, it's a great opportunity for you, da 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 four weeks, you know. Mm. What could go wrong? Um, try it. So I remember ringing Keith back and, and saying, uh, yes, I'm in, you know. And uh, he said, oh, you know, fantastic, it's great. And then away we went. Went and did the Matty thing, made sure that he was all right. Yep. But then I was quickly trying to get the group ready because we played Hawthorne down in Tasmania. So I just wanted to change a, a couple of things. I just wanted us to kick forward. I know a lot of the fans and supporters and that were probably just a little bit sick and tired of the ball going back mm. first rather than forward first. So we changed that, gave the players a bit more of a licence, um, tried to pick up the professionalism of the, the players in the gym and on the track and, and, and around the place. Like we had one player who who I won't name, but, you know, all the car parks were taken. So he, he, he felt that it was his right to go and park in the in the garden bed, you know, where the roses were growing mm. and uh, only walk five metres rather than to training to get into the ground rather than trying to find a car park and walking maybe 50 to 100 metres. So I, I went out and had a look around the place and I quickly worked out whose the car was and I went in and I challenged him. I'm saying, it's just not good enough. You know, like, mm. do what everybody else has to do, get a car park. So there's little things like that that I tried to tweak. So after the four weeks, I was told that, you know, you can go for it, probably not going to be considered, but if you want to go yeah. through the process, I said, look, I'm comfortable with the four weeks that I had and uh, happy to fall back into a, a line coach or, or whatever the club needed. Obviously, your time at Port Adelaide was up last year after, what, seven seasons there in a range yeah. of different roles. Yep. Um, Ken Higley's coaching there and he was your teammate from Geelong. Was he the one that had to tell you that was it? Yeah, yeah, that's fine. Um, him and Chris. So they're really good. Like, the, the AFL's getting better at making sure uh, what I call outducting people. You know, there's an indu induction which you go through all the yep. stuff, but there's also, I think, that's important that you outduct people the right way. And um, I learned from the Geelong stuff that I wasn't going to, although um, the actual or the initial... We, we're not going to contract you for 2017 stung. Mm. Um, uh, I quickly remembered my time at Geelong and the way I left there that it was not going to happen again, you know. So I, I recognised that my time was up. Um, I met a lot of great people, had some great experiences, played some good footy, played some finals. Um, we're poor at times, the, the club. I was around those times. So, you know, worked with people like Mark Williams, who's outstanding, Dean Laidley, our great footy brain, Matthew Primus, Jason Cripps, um, you know, lot, lots of, lots of, Ren, Edwards, Carr, mm. Nicks, you know, it goes on and on, the amount of great quality people that have been, and also the players as well that have been through. So initially a month to go of the season, I was told that it was um, unlikely that my contract would be renewed. I asked why, um, and I didn't quite get a... a uh, complete answer it was more about the board at the moment uh, are not you know, going to yeah. 
to fulfil it again. And I said, well, how does the board see how I um, work in line meetings and teams and, and on the bench and all that sort of thing? But, you know, cut a long story short, it was after the Gold Coast game, walked in on the Tuesday, I reckon I was there Monday, walked, walked in on the Tuesday, Sean Hart said that Kenny and Chris want to see me, walked in their, their office and said pretty much, look, we've, we've got to make some change. We've got to be seen to be making change. Um, unfortunately, you're out of contract. It's bad timing. Um, and that's pretty much, you know, walked out of there and packed the, got a cardboard box as everybody does in the normal work life and packed the photos and all your, all your stuff and bits and pieces. And, uh, you know, you do the, the walk of shame, so to speak, and, you, and you're out, you know, and pretty much you, you hand them back your computer and your footy IP and, you know, everything just goes in a matter of seconds. You know, your phone gets cut off in your emails and it's not great, but I can understand the process, yeah. Given what happened at Geelong back in 01, did that help the way you felt about leaving Port Adelaide last year? Absolutely, yeah, yeah. I was very, very, um, you know, uh, understanding of, of that and making sure that this time I left the club in, in, the, in the best possible way, you know, both for myself personally and my family and that you can always go back. Like, I feel like now I can actually walk back in, you know, um, and... and not not to training, but I can walk back mm. in and, and say good day to Kenny. I can uh, I can go and talk to Vossi. I can go and say good day to Chris. I can mm. go and have a chat, a coffee with Keith. Absolutely. I didn't feel like that with Brian, Brian Cook and 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 Bomber and those sort of guys. You know, it took a while. I can do it now. Yep. There's no no issues. I can mm. ring up Brian Cook now, or yep. I, I can see Bomber somewhere and say, Hey mate, how you going? You know. Um, all good. And even at Port now, I can do the same sort of thing. So. I'm really, I'm really pleased that I get possibly a little bit of um, my life back in in regards to now going to South Adelaide, which I've really loved. Yep. It, there's a bit more work-life balance. The AFL, um, it's it's all about winning. Um, you do work very, very hard, and it does test, you know, the boundaries with mm. kids and uh, and families and and relationships and and that at home. You spend a lot of time trying to find a way to win. You find a uh, you work a, a lot of hours trying to look at losses. You know, when you win, all you do is get a good night's sleep. That's it. Yeah. You know, that's that's all winning does when you're assistant coach or a coach. But when you lose, it's like you don't sleep for a week or two trying to find out, you know, how, how you can improve and what went wrong and that sort of thing. So wins are good. You get to sleep. <laughs> but um, 63, of course, was at Geelong Premiership. And yeah. you missed out. You got so close in uh, in helping them get one in that big drought. South Adelaide, you're coaching them in the Sandful now. 64, I think, was their last premiership. It is. Might be a nice way to uh, just round things off to uh, to get that win for them, wouldn't it? Well, hopefully I've done enough work and the footy gods up there uh, actually smile upon me. I do believe in the footy gods a lot. I used to say to the players, you know, when things happen to them on the field, they used to go, oh, that's, that's luck or in the right spot and I used to say to him, no, no, it's the footy guys looking after you, you know, and hopefully, you know, I've, I've done enough and I've, I know I've still got a lot of work to do with South, you know. Mm. Um, it's a great club. We've got a good group of players. Uh, they're hard to win. Um, we, we certainly will be trying everything, you know. Um, hopefully our players aren't at the tribunal. Uh, hopefully mm. we play fairly, but <laughs> we certainly do want to try and... Uh, do something for all the fans and people that have followed South for a long period of time. Well, but I hope the footy gods smile down on you. And here in South Australia, I think we're very blessed that we have your wisdom and your football experience still here, even though you're out of the AFL system and uh, you're with the Panthers in the Sandful. And 
get a win with them and then we might see you back in the AFL as well. That'd be great, Sardis. Thanks. Thanks for joining us. Pleasure. Make sure you follow Talking Footy on Twitter at Talking Footy and use the hashtag TalkingFootyPod. Like the show? Well, subscribe and leave a review on iTunes. We're Talking Footy.